This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having certified life coach, mental health specialist, and someone who is always here to help, Noah Shaw. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing today? All right, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to be on, man. I'm honored. Excellent. So we're, uh, we're all sheltering in place here, but you've made a big impact on a lot of people's lives, but they probably don't all know the backstory uh, on, on, uh, on how it all began and how you got to here. So you want to give a couple minutes on, on your personal background, and then we'll talk about the current day changes we're going to help uh, in, in, infuse. Sure. No problem. Um, I'm a child of the tri-state area, which if you don't know is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Born in New Jersey, we come from the Bronx originally. My family comes from the Bronx, which is an important part of my story. And although we, I always grew up as a kid in Jersey and Connecticut and Westchester, the Bronx always pulled me back. Like it was a place that I never left. I pretty much consider myself like the Bronx raised me. You know, like I would go to school and, you know, other places, cities or towns outside of the city, but I would just, every spare minute was in the city. It was the, uh, You know, when I became, when I really became, you know, a young adult, it was the late 70s, South Bronx, the birth of hip hop, Mm. the birth of, you know, the weed, the coke, everything that goes along with that, the violence, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I come from a a mixed background. I got involved with the, uh, the crooked nose guys up on Arthur Avenue. No, no names will be spoken, but by the time I was 15, I was dealing large, large amounts of cocaine throughout New York City. My typical days of 15-year-old would start. I would wake up, drag myself out of bed at like 8 o'clock, grab my friend, drive to school. We'd be late. We'd grab vodka, OJs on the way, uh, get to school, spend the entire day basically not going to class, smoke weed in the fucking parking lot like that 70s show. It was basically uh-huh. that 70s show. And um, I got involved as the years went on in high school you know, by, you know, like say sophomore year, my typical evening would be spent at Studio 54, getting there around midnight or one o'clock, selling a ton of cocaine, you know, and then leaving there at 7 a.m. and going straight to homeroom with like $40,000 in my pocket. Wow. I got involved in large produce. I got enlarged in like large inventory, involved in small when I was just in the clubs and stuff because I, you know, I didn't want to be in like, you know, I wanted to be in the club and I wanted to be popular. I could make fucking like more money just doing large product, but like fucking Studio 54. It was like, I, it was my entree into this world that was like ridiculous. You're like a last mile kind of guy, you know? Uh, yeah. You want to drop the package off like, you know, the UPS yeah. truck, you know, people yeah, know your yeah. name. Yeah. I want well, yeah, I had both ends going. I had, I had <laughs> people who could handle my bulk orders when I wasn't around. I had a crew. And then when I wanted to go out and party, it was always nice to be the guy with the fucking best cocaine in the 70s. So after the, <laughs> shortly after that, I became my best customer and I became a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. I would take anything, anytime, anywhere. There were a bunch of rehabs. I mean, I'm not going to get too in-depth right now, but I will say I've survived five car wrecks when I was driving by myself that the police didn't even give me a DUI because they were surprised I was alive. I've survived three suicide attempts. Um, well, I don't know why I'm still here. But then when I finally woke up out of a haze and, you know, 13 rehabs, it's just, it's a very 
typical story. Like it sounds when I say it, it's like it's so typical. It's so typical. Then people hear it like you went to fucking thirteen rehabs. Like that, we are a fucking crazy person. I was a crazy person. <laughs> wow. I was I was insane. And then I got to AA and I got sober, and everything started to click, and I turned my life around. And I was sober for fifteen years, and then I decided I could smoke a little weed. So I smoked a little weed. And the next thing I know, I went back to write what I was best at, which is drug dealing. Oh, so, Jesus. So as New York has a drug delivery service, which you can call up and have any, any weed delivered anytime. In 2001, I opened the very first delivery service for weed in Los Angeles and had 30,000 customers in 30 days. They had never seen anything like this. I was making money hand over fist. And that was the what kind of CRM were you using, by the way? What's a CRM? Like salesforce.com or something? 30,000 people on delivering, man. That was the best. You have a, like a notebook or what do you have? Like a cell, like 10 cell phones? Word of mouth and 10 cell phones. And I had five guys who rotated. It was two guys on the street from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night, um, serving a very specific area. And uh, then, yada, 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 yada. Somebody snitched on me. And for the first time in my entire life, I, all my years of dealing, I actually had a bunch of product and a bunch of money at my house for five minutes. And that's when the police walked in. Oh, wow. Was, I believe it was God-driven because they didn't know what they were walking into. They told me, they don't, listen, we know you have a couple of ounces of weed. This is going to be a slap on the hand. And I had 25 pounds of weed and I had a half wow. million dollars. That's a lot. It's too yeah. much to talk your way out of. Like, you can say, like, yo, mom, somebody brought a six-pack over, and I <laughs> didn't know they put it in the fridge. Like, that one's like, what do they call that? When, like, you you know, like, you go to you go to trial, and they're like, look, dude, we call you kind of as red-handed as possible. Like, let's just get this over with. Well, the beautiful thing is the cops stole most of the money and most of the drugs. Ah. By the time we got to jail, when they were locking me up, they had, like, I think $50,000 and, like, 12 pounds of weed. And so they'd stolen it, but they were still looking to put me away for 15 years in prison. Whoa. Because they wanted to make an example of me because I was a white boy in a nice neighborhood. So they could really show that they were cracking down. I was going to be. But you were, did they know you're from the Bronx, dude? I mean, like you think. In LA. The boy out of Bronx, but not Bronx out of the boy, right? It's like a asthma, I think they call it. I mean, I'm fucking New York. I don't care yeah. where I go in this world. I'm a fucking New Yorker. They probably d didn't like the fact that you were a New Yorker either, I would say. Uh, anyway, so where where did we get uh, to? So we're down to 50K and, and 12 pounds of weed, so if I, I remember up, correctly. I ended up with the best weed lawyer in L.A., which was Snoop Dogg's weed lawyer. <laughs> and he got the whole thing dropped down to six months in rehab. Wow. Wow, dude. Or I went to rehab. I remember the 12 pounds of weed back or no? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. They weren't, they weren't returning, nor the bond. They locked. They, <laughs> they locked me up three times. They kept saying I was skipping bond, and they weren't telling my lawyer because they were trying to pressure me into giving up my resources. Right. Okay. Give up anything. So they kept like yeah. throwing me back in jail. I'd have to post bond. They throw me in jail. I'd have to post bond. They just kept the money. I never got it. But so then I got to rehab, and I just realized I had been sober, and I remembered how beautiful my life was. And I just attacked it. I attacked it like, you know, like when someone, I just, when I get going in a certain direction, I just go a hundred percent. Yeah. So got to, went to the rehab, started working at that rehab as a case clinic technician, was a case manager, helping people. 
And then I got hired in another rehab, a really high-end rehab in Beverly Hills called the 180 Center, $60,000 a month just to walk in the fucking door. Mm. And I was so busy every day doing what's called redirection. So if you're in pain, you're sitting outside and you're in pain, I'll go, come on, let's go inside and get something to eat, right? Let's just, if you change the physical location of somebody who's hurting, things will be, they won't be able to sit there and continue to focus on the pain. Uh, You you start getting in a bad headspace, just stand up, walk to another place, sit down somewhere else, walk outside, like just get out of that physical space. But I would like, let's go out, go inside and have something to eat. Let's go outside and Mm -hmm. have something to eat. So cut to a year and a half later, I'm 300 pounds and I'm smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. That's how you got to that. Okay. So you were redirecting Marlboro Red guy. Yeah, I was redirecting Jeez. everybody at my Dude, age. now that would cost you like 600 bucks a week, man. No. It'd be insane having that many cigarettes. I know. Well, I, I have my little jewel. I still hang on to a little now and then. But if that's the worst thing I'm doing, that's the worst thing I'm doing. Yeah, I hear you. But apparently COVID doesn't, has really barrier against, because smoking is a real barrier against COVID, which is fucking the craziest thing. Oh, really? I thought it wasn't. No, it was. Oh, wow. There's oh, good. A, so if I have a smoke every once in a while, I'll just be like, yo, I'm going my anti-COVID smoke. Yeah, no, but it's the craziest science of all this. There's a gene that smoking kills, and the gene in the body is where the COVID latches onto. So in smokers, it doesn't exist. So <laughs> there's a rate, like incredibly low rate, like 2 or 3%. I, Bro, if you could send me an email with like a link to a reputable site that says that, Oh yeah, you'd get me out of like some problems when I have a cigarette every now and again. Even though I'm the Halo guy, like yeah, yeah. I'm human, bro. I understand. So, So, Emil, can you write that? Put that on your to do list for me, please. Okay, I'll (laughs) write it. Or just write it. Put it on your own site for me, and I'll I'll reference you as the expert. That's okay. I'll send it to you. (laughs) Um, So, uh, I finally walked into you know. There's a whole long story, but like, doesn't really matter. I walked into a soul cycle, and I, I, their first instructor, Stacy Griffith, used oh, to yeah. live in my backyard in an apartment that I had. And I, she was a fucking crazy crackhead and meth addict and all the above. And I kept her alive for a lot of years with money, with everything I could give her and keep, give her phones, and rides, and cars, whatever she needed. And I gave her the money. I saw the downward spiral she was about to fucking hit. And it didn't, she was in love with this woman in New York. So I gave her the plane ticket and a couple thousand dollars to go to New York. I said, go find your love. So she started, she was the lead first instructor at Soul Cycle. So I knew what it was, and I'd done it once when I was visiting from New York. But it just opened. That was the first day they opened in West Hollywood, and I came up the escalator in Sunset Boulevard. And I walked in, and I was like, where are the owners? And they were like, they're over there. And I'm like, hi, I'm Noah. And they're like, oh, you're Papa. You're Stacy. Oh, my God, thank you so much. Are you going to? Are you going to ride? And I'm like fucking 300 pounds. I'm sweating from like riding up an escalator. <laughs> and so uh, I fucking so went in. I like went home. They said, yeah, why don't you come back? It's like three o'clock at the class. I said, okay. So I went home, put on my 4XL t-shirt, you know, my 4X, my fucking triple extra large shorts. I couldn't even, I was so grotesquely obese. I couldn't bend over to put on my shoes. Mm-hmm. All the shoes that I owned were slip-on Nike SBs. And I bought those because they had a little elastic band. So I could crush down the bottom and then slide my fucking foot in. Right. Yeah. I get in class, and I'm about like 10, 15 minutes in the class, and my mind has this shift. 
And I said, you know what? I've been fucking shot at. I've been stabbed. I've been fucking had contracts out of me. I've had people try and throw me off fucking buildings. I've had all this, like, I've tried to kill me. Other people have tried to kill me. I should have been dead 10 times over. I said, am I really going to go out by being fat? Let me just go back a second. A week earlier, I'm at my doctor's office. And he said, I got some great news. It's not going to hurt a bit. I go, what are you going to give me a shot? He said, no. You're about to have a heart attack so big, you're not going to feel a thing. You're not going to grab your chest. You're not going to be armed. Your heart is going to explode, and you're going to be dead before you hit the ground. Hmm. So I went to an exercise class. Wow. Am I really, after escaping bullets and daggers and knives and fucking concrete everything, am I going to die from a fucking Egg McMuffin? Like pizza? Like burgers? Like that's what's going to be fucking takes me out? I'm not going to die... I'm going to die with my heart exploding in an exercise class. I'm going to literally die trying. Right, right, right. So I took a corner. So you were actually on a soul cycle suicide mission on your first trip. You're like, dude, I'll probably get through like the first two songs, probably one of the two I'll like, and then it'll be over. And people will be like, yo, the guy's a fucking athlete, but his body, you know, just never really showed it at the end yeah. or something. No. It was, and it was like, here's the deal. I, there was a, there was a corner, there was a front row corner bike that was by a door. And I chose, like, who, who fucking 300-pound fucking, you know, not working out person picks the front row in a spin class? I picked it because it was by the door. And I, I mentally thought, when I die on this bike, I want them to just be able to take me off the bike, take me right out of the door, and not interrupt class. Dude, that is such a crazy... No one else has ever had that experience walking into a soul cycle class before. Right? Like that's like, like you, but you're like so appreciative of others that you didn't want them to have to carry you out. I didn't want so, to interrupt the class. No, it's so so thoughtful. I don't so want thoughtful. to interrupt the class. Just pull me off the bike, drag me in the hallway, and keep going. I'm dead. <laughs> no reason to stop. <laughs> All right. How many minutes did you did you ride for? Oh, I did the whole fucking class. I never. It's awesome, bro. Amazing. I never fucking quit. And then I went back and I did a double the next day, and then I did another double. Then I did a triple, and I lost almost a hundred pounds in give or take ninety days. That's a, it's incredible. Like I just went for it. I was riding a minimum, a minimum of twice a day. So just as an as an aside, so I did the same thing when I started doing Soul Cycle in Manhattan Beach, California. I would just go two a days, and I just crush it. I lost like twenty pounds in like sixty days. Dude, but just talking about the weight loss for a second, a, a buddy of ours, he, he used to be the, the personal trainer in uh, Venice Beach and in uh, at the World Gym and Powerhouse and the Golds. And he tells me, ah, I used to sell like 400 memberships a month. I'm like, how'd you do that? He's like, oh, anyone who came in, I'd take them to the dumbbell section and I'd say, hey, how much weight do you want to lose? They'll say like 25 pounds. So I'm like, yeah, pick up the 25-pound dumbbell. So the, the prospect would pick up a 25 dumbbell pound dumbbell and they walk them around the club just until like they at some point in the next 10 minutes would say hey brian can i put this 25 pound dumbbell down he's like you know what better you're gonna feel when you lose 25 pounds and then he'd slip out the membership agreement so how much better just like for people that don't think that they could do this it sounded like you were pretty much like as extreme as possible from a lung capacity and from like a obese or you know overweight to get to like losing 100 pounds in 90 days i mean, I mean it's, that, it's a, unbelievable it's a very simple, simple answer like i was often i mean listen if i can do it anybody can do it a lot of times i'm standing at the front desk at soul cycle and be it a new rider a lot of new riders um and sometimes just people coming in and they'll be like 
the new riders be like, I'm scared. They'll be heavy with a little overweight, whatever, nothing, but you know, even, you know, sometimes extreme. And they'll be like, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this or they haven't signed up yet. And I always, I have like in my favorites, I have my phone, my before picture. And I'm like, if I can in one picture convince you that I that you can do this, will you do it with an open mind and an open heart? And let me love, let me show you some love. They'll yeah. be like, okay. And I show them my before picture and I go, I did this. And then they're like, holy shit. And they're like, well, if I'm like, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I, and I wasn't like a fucking spring chicken. I'm 56 now. Uh-huh. This was like 45, 46 when I first fucking did this. You know, so it wasn't like I was a young, like 20 year old, you know, somebody was a little weight, then your, your body just fucking snapped back. I'm fucking 56. Yeah. So, so be, being a mental health coach right now and a life coach certifications, you know, you've helped hundreds of people, some of them maybe more formally thousands. than others, thousands. Um, you know, w- when you take a look at that and you say, all right, you know, everyone's had 60 days to 90 days to just like chill and self-reflect and figure out who they want to be when they come out of this. Cause I say every day is a new day, just I'm sure like, do you think, you know, and they could be something different. They don't have to come back and like, I, was, I used to be on an airplane three days a week. You know, I'd take the red eye once a week. You know, I, I totally would sacrifice my sleep. I'd sacrifice relationships, friends. You know, I'm not doing that anymore. So, like, what what are some of the things that you've been seeing or talking to people? Like, do you think there's, like, a complete mindset change? Or do you think this is, like, people in the locker room, they'll come out and everyone's just going to go back to normal? I don't think... I don't think anybody's going to come back to normal because what we thought was normal will never be again. Um, what I, what I recommend for people, and I think it's two part, um, is to be present and in the present moment, because the present moment's the only thing that's real. And I say this a lot. We look forward with apprehension and we look in, re- in reverse with sadness. Oh, I could have done that. I missed that opportunity. It's such a bummer. I didn't do that. I had that opportunity. And I look forward and I go, that's not going to fucking work out. How is that going to, I don't even, I'm fucking scared of that going, what the fuck is going on with the forward? So if I say in the moment, Mm. as my first, as my first guide, as my first point right now, that's the moment. Now that's gone. Like these are just fucking moments in our lives. Snap your fucking fingers and then realize that moment is gone. So the more you focus on the moment and then you start to find yourself as, as it, as it explodes, the moment explodes, you start going, all right, I got my hands. I got my feet. I'm fucking healthy. I'm alive. I'm alive. Then you start counting the things you're grateful for. I recommend all the clients I work for. I recommend it to everybody that every morning, wherever you sit and have your coffee, that you put a little piece of paper, a pen, if you want to do it on your computer, you can, or your phone. Sit down with you before you fucking oh, have a little fucking coffee because everybody knows you need fucking coffee. But after that, take a minute and write down a minimum of three things you're grateful for. What it does is it begins to focus your brain in the early part of the day on things that I'm grateful for. And when you feel yourself going away from that, Write something else on a list. Remember your list. Read your list. Always gratitude is the key. 
attitude of gratitude is the beginning of everything. I don't care what kind of athlete you want to be. And I've worked with world-class athletes. I've worked with fucking NFL, MLB, fucking no hockey players. I've worked with fucking A-list celebrities. Like you wouldn't fucking believe rock and roll hall of fame people. And the number one thing that has the most success in people, and it goes back in millennia in our lives is gratitude is the key to everything. Right. And it blocks everything. So, you know, from, from a standpoint of what you're doing right now, how much of your time are you spending doing soul cycle classes and, you know, being able to reach, you know, 40 or 60 people or more per class versus the one-on-one? How, how do you like to communicate with people? Or are you basically saying whatever venues or avenues I can spread my gratitude and, and wisdom, I'm going to take that? Or how do you think about your role in this? Well, my role is I'm not teaching any soul cycle classes right now. I mean, when we come back, you know, I'm always talking about gratitude. It's just, it's become, I talk about it, not in a preachy way. I'm always like, listen, gratitude fucking saved my life. Gratitude has saved the lives of many of my fucking friends. And I also talk about action. Uh, you know, the way I reach people is I, I one, one of my catchphrases is, intention without action is just a good idea. A couple of years ago, everybody started like, set your intention, set your intention, set your intention. It's just a fucking good idea. It's like, I want to set my intention to grow my hair. Well, I don't fucking, I can't grow hair. So what can I do? Like, you know, you got to be able to understand, like set your intentions for things that align with you and your life in places that you want to improve in, that you can see like, here's an area of my life which I really want to work on then say, I set the intention that I'm going to work on my fitness. Great. You don't have to fucking be fit tomorrow. You have to take one fucking step. Right. One step, one step, two steps, whatever it looks like. If you can go down, like do three push-ups. If that's all you can do, great. Keep doing three push-ups. Whatever you're able to accomplish in the action section of your life, I, I will give you an example of mine. I have had fucking 20 years of people telling me to write a book. Everybody drive my fucking girlfriend crazy. She wants to break up with me because I won't fuck around my book, but I felt very frustrated by it. I kept feeling frustrated. I kept trying to write and write a couple pages. I can't fucking type. I know that by myself. I'm a terrible typer. So when I sit down to type, then I found Google, like I can just fucking like speak into it, but I would like go on this long rambling thing. Like I can talk to you all fucking day. But when I talk to type, Every, got everything fucking wrong. Okay. So across my fucking Instagram feed this weekend, I'm sitting in the fucking water on this lake and this thing comes up and goes, 30 day write a book boot camp. I was like, uh-huh. fuck up. Nice. Now I'm on day three and it's super simple, little fucking lessons, tiny actions, 30, 40 minutes a fucking day that I can do because I've been given guidance. The other part of it is if you don't know what to do and you don't know the actions to help, what, what I think are the two most important words in the English language, help me. Mm-hmm. Asking for fucking help. And it was like, listen, I'm growing up fucking tough guy in the streets fighting. You didn't show fucking emotion. You didn't show anything. And I've been in fucking plenty of fist fights. Sometimes I won, sometimes I lost. I've seen violence. I've been shot at. I've had all this fucking crazy shit. But nothing stopped and nothing changes until you say, help me. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So in closing here, as you think about all these corporations, 
and they start to talk about, hey, we want to have a wellness program. They'll call us up and say, hey, can you get discounts at boutique studios or residents or residential buildings are saying, hey, we want to do a promotion. Why don't companies in general think like a NFL football team and have, I got a quarterbacks coach, I got a strength coach, I got a conditioning coach, I got a life coach. Like what, when do you think that paradigm finally tilts and your message to say, Hey, look, I got people, they're players. These players need to be taken care of just like a professional athlete. And why are we leaving that to self-care when we can be more directive and actually provide it on our own? Well, you're leaving it because if people, you're hoping that you're not even hoping, you're just fucking casually, you're looking, I think, let me get my thoughts straight for a second. I think people have been inherently obsessed with self. Everybody talks about the millennials being fucking slackers and they're all fucking selfish and everything. And a phenomenon I remember is like, it was the 90s, late 90s, and I walked into a Borders Books in Los Angeles, right? And I looked up and there was a section called self-help, right? So what did all those people who eventually became the parents of the fucking millennials do? They started helping themselves. They started taking these books and going, this is about me. So when I have my parents who are fully involved in self-help, then the kids become invested in self too, because that's the lesson they've learned, right? So what I do is I, I practice and I, I talk about it on my podcast in my life, selfless help. It's the act of service. Mm-hmm. It's the act of, I can't help myself until I have helped you. Now, part two of that, what is going on in the world right now is a very, is very diet. It's weird. Everybody's obsessed with self. And, and I think they're starting to realize that in this world, we're all not as important as we think we are. Cause everybody around the world, like the dream, like the crazy dreams phenomenon, like I'm not as fucking, not, not that I'm not as important. I'm not as unique as I think I am. Hmm. We're all just fucking specks of dust on a fucking planet. Yeah. We're also made of starlight. We're fucking special and wonderful and unique in all the best ways. And we all have the opportunity to help other people. If you've really seen that volunteerism and the people who are lifting up others, who are reaching out in the smallest ways, the joy in their lives. The I fucking, you know, I'm lucky enough that I hear the banging and the yelling at seven o'clock. And I always, I would stand in my window and I have a little pot and a fucking, and a, and a little spatula that I bang at seven o'clock. But I always, every night I take a little slice of that for me. Yeah. I made it through another day. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm alive. So I believe that corporations and buildings and sports club need to start worrying about people's minds and spirits. As much because you, it's a three-legged stool. I always say this. It's a three-legged stool. And you've got to have all three legs be strong. If you just mm-hmm. fucking work out all the time. I know people that are in incredible shape, that are fucking driven, especially in the fitness industry, that are driven by fucking ego and to sacrifice everything just to fucking have six-pack abs. I'm like, I'm never going to have fucking six-pack abs. If I can be in yeah. shape, then I'm in shape. Right now I'm dealing with injury. But my mind is good. 
My body's good. Yeah. My spirit's good. And that's all that matters. I'm with you. So, uh, hey, man, it was great having you on. I look forward to seeing you in person uh, once the uh, shelter in place is lifted. You want to just give our audience a little bit of uh, uh, tags on, wh- on where to get uh, where to find you? I'm really easy to find. I'm on Instagram at NoahShaw26. Or um, you can also go direct to my website, noahshaw.com. You can submit a request if you're having any problems for a free consultation on there. And if uh, anybody hits me up on either place and just puts in the code HALO, I will give them a 50% off of my regular rates. Wow, that's awesome. Unexpected and appreciated. Unnecessary, we appreciate it. Hey, man, well, look, in closing, I'll just say one thing. I'm glad you're still around, bro. Me too. I'm glad you're around, bro. All right, man. Uh, Let's do great things. Thanks for uh, being you and uh, helping everybody, and uh, look forward to working with you in the future. Thanks, guys. Gentlemen, have a great day. Take care. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. This is Pete Moore. As you know, I am a big believer in personal development. I got a time-saving opportunity here for you recommending Dan Millman's Four Purposes of Life. Go to audible.com forward slash Halo Talks. You want to register there, get a free audio book. It's $14.95 a month thereafter. Giving you things that I do to make myself better and hopefully it makes you better. Go Halo. Let's play to win. Hey, 